From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The election isn't over yet for some candidates as many races from last week are headed to a runoff, including the race to replace Congressman Ron Wright in Texas's 6th Congressional District. We also keep our attention on the state legislature, where with just a few weeks to go, several controversial bills are moving forward. And we hear from one of the longest-serving mayors in the country, in office right here in North Texas. This week, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers talked to State Representative Jake Elsey, one of the candidates for the District 6 seat, Rice University political science professor Mark Jones, and the mayor of Grapevine, William D. Tate, who was first elected in 1973. For a more detailed breakdown of election results across North Texas, check out last week's podcast or visit NBCDFW.com, where we've tracked more than 400 races in Dallas-Fort Worth. And before we get started, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. In last week's special election to fill the open seat in Texas's 6th Congressional District held by Ron Wright, Wright's wife, Susan Wright, received 19% of the vote, while State Representative Jake Elsey, a Republican from Waxahachie, received 14%. Jana Lynn Sanchez was the highest finishing Democrat with 13%. Ron Wright died in February after he contracted COVID-19 while fighting a prolonged battle against lung cancer. The district includes parts of Tarrant, Ellis, and Navarro counties. Susan Wright was invited to appear on Lone Star Politics but was unavailable. NBC5 caught up with her last Saturday after she finished first in the special election. We worked hard on this race. We ran it just like uh, he ran his race, door-to-door, person-by-person, telephone-to-telephone, talking to the voters, um, hearing what's important to them, taking our message to them, and it's, it's resonated with them just like it did with him. I'm looking forward to talking to voters again uh, to continue the conversation, and um, I like where we're headed. Elsie is a Navy veteran who is serving his first term in the State House of Representatives. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you all for having me. You are one of two Republicans in the race. You finished second. How do you hope to win in the runoff? We stick with the same message that we always have, and then it is one of a, of a great and bright future for our country. I think there's no question that uh, uh, a lot of folks were surprised that it was a two-Republican runoff. Uh, I know the Democrats were hoping that, uh, that they would get somebody in there, but it didn't turn out that way. And uh, that's because people are energized about what's going on in our country right now. And, uh, and they want some good conservative leadership moving forward. I think this is a referendum on the leadership that currently exists in Washington, D.C., uh, as the Democrats control Congress and the White House. Representative, how do you overcome former President Donald Trump's endorsement uh, of Susan Wright, which appears to have helped her in the first round? Well, I certainly congratulate her for receiving that endorsement, and I do believe that President Trump's endorsement actually got two Republicans into this runoff, so it's a, it's a clear win for everybody. Uh, you know, my, my candidacy has always been based on my 20 years of naval service and my view of, of, of the future of our country under conservative, uh, conservative principles, so I, I think that's going to be left up to the voters. It wasn't that far off. We had 23 candidates, 11 Republicans. Uh, um, and I got 14 percent of the vote, and I feel really good about going forward into, the, into this runoff. The Club for Growth, Senator Ted Cruz, and Wright's campaign manager have questioned your conservative credentials. So what do you say to them? Uh, I have 30 years under oath of this uh, of service to our country, and uh, my votes in the Texas legislature right now will prove them that prove to everybody that that's absolutely false. They know it. I'm going to call out Club for Growth on this. Uh, th what they're talking about is absolute uh, nonsense, 
And uh, but you know what? I've been shot at by people who intended to kill me. So Club for Growth, do your worst. Representative, what do you say to voters who are concerned that, look, you were just elected to the state house in November and now you are running for Congress? I'm glad you asked that question because I'm working hard every day down here in Austin. Uh, by the time this runoff occurs, I will have completed our session down here in Austin uh, and uh, and serving the people of this district. Look, nobody wanted this to happen. In fact, I had a fundraiser for Ron, who I consider a friend back in August because I wanted him to be in that seat for a long time. But the call of duty comes when it comes and you answer that call. And it's usually when it's not the best time for anybody. And I'm, I was deeply saddened by his loss. And uh, and but, you know, when that when that uh, call to duty comes and that's how I see it, that's been my entire life is one of service and duty. Uh, and and, uh, and and we have a lot of challenges confronting us. And I'm just putting my name out there as someone who might be the one to to help our district uh, get uh, get some representation in Washington, D.C. with a good conservative message. So it, it, no, nobody wanted this. Right. I mean, this is this is a this was a terrible thing that happened, but it happened. And it's and you have to answer the call. But have you been able to do your job in Austin? and still campaign for Congress? I mean, how does that work? Absolutely, I'm burning my candle on three ends and they're an afterburner. Uh, we were up until three o'clock last night uh, in the Texas House and uh, we'll be doing that again today, probably very, very late. So we're getting towards 24 days from the end of, of session. Uh, Speaker Dade Phelan has done a tremendous job in spite of numerous obstacles, uh, getting, getting our agenda passed and through. And we're here to, to work until the, the job is done. And that is my job. And that is what I'm doing. So in my, all of my spare time, uh, I'm campaigning, campaigning uh, for Congress, but uh, not at the expense of my job here in, in Austin. If elected, what's the first priority for you? And what do you think is the biggest issue facing District 6? Well, for, for the voters the last six months, the, the, the difficulties have, and the priorities have changed. Uh, when the storm hit in February, that was the number one priority. Uh, and uh, right now it seems to be immigration because it affects all of us as a nation. It affects our state. It affects us uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we have uh, a lot of unaccompanied minors coming through. We have an open border. Uh, in a time of COVID when uh, a lot of places are still locked down, we seem to have a porous border that uh, no, no nation can sustain their security with an open border. Uh, but uh, additionally, uh, our, our representation locally is very important. I plan on opening three, three district offices, one in each county, so that people can feel like they're being heard uh, because right now they're, they're worried about the future of our country. I hear that all the time, uh, but I also believe that uh, it's always darkest before the dawn and things are gonna get better and our brightest days are ahead of us. Uh, you know, when I was at the Naval Academy the first year, the first summer, in fact, it's very, very difficult and, and uh, it's very hard on everybody. And there's a, there's a house in Annapolis that has a big banner on it that says, don't give up the ship. Uh, I have lost many friends in combat defending our country. I have served myself. Uh, many years in combat and the country that we're seeing, the, the way the administration is running uh, our country right now on, on a glide path to have 400 executive orders in, in one year. That's not what our nation is built on and certainly not according to the Constitution. So I believe in the oath that I've always taken and, and, and that, that's, that's what people believe in in our district as well. Uh, uh, Representative, in the 30 seconds we have left, if you were in Congress now, would you vote to re re remove Liz Cheney from her leadership position? I think that's an interesting question, but I don't think it's uh, something that should be out in public. I don't believe that divisiveness within our country, within our party can stand it. And I don't believe it can stand within our country either. I will say this, that the leadership is the leadership. And whenever we take back the, the, uh, the United States House, 
uh, Leader McCarthy is going to be Speaker McCarthy. We need to keep our, our business to ourselves and deal with that within instead of without. So I, I look forward to serving with Speaker McCarthy. Representative Elzey, candidate for Congressional District 6, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Have a blessed day. Governor Greg Abbott has yet to set a date for the special election runoff between Wright and Elzey. The runoff elections for other races, including Fort Worth Mayor and Dallas City Council, will take place June 5th. Early voting runs from May 24th to June 1st. In Austin, there are just three weeks to go in the legislative session. House Republicans on Friday advanced an elections bill that has faced opposition from a number of Texas-based corporations. The state Senate last week advanced the bill for permitless carry, which would allow Texans to carry handguns without a permit. And the House passed the heartbeat bill, which would ban abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Abbott has said he would sign all three of the bills if they reach his desk. Mark Jones is a fellow at the Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University and a political science professor at the school. He joins Julian Gromer to discuss the contentious bills in Austin. Let's start with your reaction to some of the bills that advanced this week in Austin. Well, we had a lot of red meat for the Republican base coming out this week. Uh, and when we're thinking of seeing this legislation, that one thing to do is to look at what actually is coming out. And the other is to think about what the overall goal is from the Republican Party here. And part of it is to satisfy the base. And so Republicans are pushing a lot of this legislation, but especially with the election bill, they're not going to be too upset if big, or at least a large portion of them aren't going to be too upset if a lot of it is gutted and what ends up passing is a much more relaxed and much, much more modest reaching type of piece of legislation because they really have dual goals. On one hand, they want to satisfy the base, but then they also don't want to anger uh, centrist voters, swing voters, or the business community. Yeah, a little bit about that election bill. Let's return to that. You've seen a Senate version. We talked about some of the provisions just a few moments ago. There's a House version that they actually took the Senate bill and put it in the House bill and put it in the Senate bill, which is really very different. Do you think at the end they'll just hammer it out and come come to some type of agreement? Right. The most likely scenario is when it passes the House today, it's going to go to the Senate. They'll reject it and send it to conference committee. And then we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, one scenario is they hammer out a more moderate version that comes back and flies through both the House and Senate. The other is that they are a little more intractable. It arrives late to the House or in the Senate and it gets blocked. But right now it's really going to go into the conference committee and the re Republicans will have to decide how much they want to push things. So, Mark, uh, elections matter, right? I mean, we're seeing basically the aftermath of the 2020 elections when Democrats weren't able to take control of the House. Right. And that, I mean, that's a key aspect there, Grover, because if Democrats had taken control of the House, this would all be a moot point. This legislation wouldn't be even reaching the floor. But uh, Democrats failed in their effort to flip any House. Well, they flipped one in terms of net House seats. They didn't flip any. They flipped one here in Houston, but they lost another one in Houston. So right now, Republicans are in control and they're trying to balance, I think, what the base wants and the pressure they're getting from the base, but also what they know could come back to haunt them in November amongst swing voters. And so they're really trying to balance those two constituencies. A lot of what we see in the legislation and the discussion of that is appealing to the base. Uh, but when the legislation actually passes, that's what will go to the will be seen most by general election voters. 
And there we might see a little more moderation than we've seen thus far on some, but not all of this legislation. You know, you just touched on this a little bit, but Democrats have tried to stop these bills. They haven't been able to. Again, we talked about Democrats being in the minority. Do they have any options to try and slow these bills? Uh, they can slow things down, but they can't really stop it. Uh, the one option they do have, though, is what's generally called chubbing in the legislature. And that's where you just like the, and that's something they were doing last night, where you just adopt an endless points of order, parliamentary inquiries, adding amendments, speaking, where you gum up the process. And in a normal state, uh, unlike Texas, that has regular leg legislative sessions, that's not a big deal. But in Texas, our regular session ends at the end of the month, which means that legislation that isn't passed by then will probably have to wait until January of 2023 to see the light of day. And so one thing that the one weapon the Democrats have is they can slow down the process uh, such that other bills that Republicans care about will get uh, trashed or essentially won't make it. And so that's one thing they can do that and essentially put real public pressure like we saw with this election bill to on Republicans to explain why exactly they were passing a bill when there didn't seem to be much real need for uh, election reform. And especially sort of the irony that the, the demand from the Republican base for uh, efforts to protect election integrity uh, are coming because of misrepresentations of election results by Republican officials. So they've created the crisis within the, the base that's calling for election reform based on fraud that didn't occur. And now they feel pressured to do something. But at the same time, they want to avoid doing going too far in alienating businesses, uh, corporations, as well as many swing voters. And in a, in a previous session, we saw the Texas business community get involved in, in bills that they say unfair, were unfairly aimed at the transgender community. This time, we saw, albeit late, in my opinion, uh, businesses speak up against these voting bills, including American Airlines. What's your thought on that? Will Republicans have a price to pay, or is this just too late in the process? Well, no, I think that's one of the things that Republicans are considering, because the, the bill, the, a lot of the components of that bill were laid out for the base as a part of theater. Uh, what actually passes will be what uh, sort of the core aspects that Republicans feel they can go with, but without alienating those uh, businesses. So one of the one of the consequences of the threats of the NCAA pulling tournaments or of conventions pulling out of Texas is to get rid of some of the most egregious aspects of the legislation, such as the empowerment of poll watchers who could harass vulnerable populations in such a way that they could feel a fear uh, for exercising their right of suffrage or making it more difficult for the disabled to vote. So that what we'll probably see is, I think, a lower key plan that will codify a lot of the things that the Republicans already thought were in the legislation, but Chris Hollins, the uh, Elections Administration here in Harris County, showed them that it perhaps was not related to the abil ability to mail out uh, applications for mail ballots to everyone and to do things like hold drive-through voting and vote 24-hour vote centers. And so, you know, and I think it's, it's a reach, though, when you try to call getting rid of those devices as modern-day Jim Crow, that's, I think, pushing the envelope a little bit because, really, it's just making it a little less convenient to vote. But, you know, there are arguments that drive-through voting does have some potential concerns related to integrity because, in the end, there are only two people in that tent, the voter and the election official. So, uh, you know, reigning in drive-through voting, I don't think, is a massive disenfranchisement. Some of the other aspects of the legislation that have been pulled out related to poll watchers were, I think, pretty egregious 
and were things that should be removed. Now, one thing that isn't included in this legislation where Texas is really behind most other states is we still don't have online voter registration, which virtually every other state has, but we don't have and nothing in this legislation will provide for it. Before we let you go, the legislative session is always a prelude to the midterms. How does this set up Republicans and Democrats for 2022? Well, I think from a Republican perspective, uh, that you have to be a little worried that this veering to the right uh, is somewhat reminiscent of 2017 when the, the Republican Party veered to the right on um, the transgender uh, legislation, for instance, that Gromer mentioned, and that they could uh, uh, face some consequences from that at the polls. They're going to be advantaged, though, by the fact that this fall they're going to be in complete control of redrawing the legislative maps, and so they'll be able to tailor make. Uh, the U.S. House, Texas Senate, and State House districts uh, to their liking, which would really help at least them, them maintain, if not enhance, their majorities in the House and Senate and congressional delegation. Those who might need to worry, though, were some of the statewide officials who would be the ones that would be more likely to be put in a tighter election if a lot of this sort of veering to the right on abortion, on transgender sports, on voting rights uh, comes back to haunt Republicans in November of 2022. Mark Jones, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. The state legislature runs through the end of the month. We turn back to local politics, where North Texas features one of the longest serving mayors in the United States. William D. Tate was reelected mayor of Grapevine last week, a post he was first elected to in 1973. And aside from one three-year stretch in the 80s, Tate has been mayor ever since a total of 45 years. Tate's father was mayor of Grapevine in the late 40s and early 50s and oversaw the dedication of Grapevine Lake. The younger Tate has seen Grapevine grow, including the Gaylord Texan, Grapevine Mills Mall, and the Great Wolf Lodge. With another three-year term set to begin, here's Mayor Tate with Julian Bromer. Mayor Tate, you won again. So now it's been 48 years. You said you had a three-year break. We'd like to get into later what you did on that three-year break. But I mean, what is it that you think you're doing that people continue to say, yes, we want this person to serve as our mayor? Well, it's not what you've done necessarily in the past. It's what people perceive you can do in the future. I think they get you reelected. Uh, we've been very successful in our community growing out of a farming community. I was elected uh, in the spring just before DFW Regional Airport was opened. And uh, so we've had an opportunity for enormous growth, an opportunity to build a city that's very special. We didn't think we would be the fastest growing city or the largest city, so we wanted to be something special. And so we've tried to attract economic development that was unique. It made us a special city. And I think we've done pretty well with that. You must like your job, obviously. Well, it, uh, uh, you know, they, they said after the airport opened uh, that we were going to line our streets with gold. It would be uh, an explosive growth like the oil boom days in Texas. And it didn't happen that way. What we woke up and found was uh, two thirds of our city was off the tax roads. It was either in the airport and the lake and the highways uh, owned by the churches or the schools or the charities. And so we had to find a way to even build a city. 
because we weren't going to get enough uh, tax money off ad valorem taxes to do that. So we decided that we would get into retail and hospitality and get into the sales tax. And that was the way to build our city. And it became a format for us that was very successful. And I think a lot of cities are copying that today. Mayor, when you talk about you're not judged by what you've done, but what you can do, what is the biggest challenge, would you say, facing Grapevine? And what will you be hoping to do next? We're going to try to do the most we can in this next three years. We're going to give it all we've got. The first thing we've got to do is to go down the long road back financially from the pandemic. We lost a lot of money uh, for the city during this period of time because we got hit hard. Uh, the things that allowed us to build a city, the sales tax and the uh, hospitality uh, got hit hard by the pandemic. Uh, the retail is coming back. Grapevine Mills Mall, the stores are up 25 to 60% more than they were in 2019. Uh, apparently people are spending the stimulus money, but the hotels are a little bit slower. People uh, book conventions uh, one or two years in advance. So that's gonna be slower. It's coming back. It's, it's actually coming back faster than I think was predicted, but that will certainly follow us for another couple of years before we get back to normal. Mayor, there, there are, there's a whole generation, 45 years, a whole generation of people who identify you with Grapevine. It, that must be a, a source of pride, but also a source of great responsibility. What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, people have to trust you. They're not going to reelect you. I grew up here. Uh, everybody knew me when I was elected the first time. Uh, I watched uh, people and talked to people at the polls for a couple of weeks. I talked to people that has moved here from various states in the union. They tell me that they've lived 10 different places, 15 different places. They love Grapevine more than any place they've ever loved, uh, lived. They love it here. They don't want to leave here. We have all of the amenities that it takes to make them comfortable. We're close to uh, all of the amenities in Dallas and Fort Worth. And close, we're close to the airport. Uh, and they love it here. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, uh, how we compare that well to other cities because I've only lived here in Grapevine. But it's comforting to know. And uh, they thanked me for their service. They uh, have a great deal of respect. I was hit pretty hard on social media and accused of high crimes and misdemeanors and still won by 81% of the vote. So I think that's an amazing uh, uh, accomplishment that people weren't able to convince people that I was a crook. They uh, looked at what we had and the love they had for the committee. In fact, I sent out a brochure and said, a hometown uh, test. What do you love about Grapevine? And I listed 15 things and I said, yes or no. And if you love, uh, if you check any one of them, yes, then vote for me. And I had a, a couple of elderly ladies that took that test, checked every block, yes, signed their name and sent it back to me. That's all right. It was uh, cool. Before I let you go, you obviously love the job. You can just tell by us talking to you the passion you have for it. There was a three-year period you weren't the mayor. What was that like, the change in your life to not be the mayor? Well, it was uh, kind of odd. It was a time where there was a great deal of change in the leadership uh, and people didn't like it. They were unhappy with it. They started encouraging me to come back and to run uh, for mayor again, which I did. Uh, that was 
a difficult period in my life, I think. I made some mistakes. I said I wasn't uh, going to run again. And uh, just before midnight, the city manager talked me into changing my mind and running, and I got beat uh, by 68 votes. And I had to live with that. You know, when you say you're going to do something, you change your mind, you pay the price. So I paid the price. That was a great lesson in my life. But I'm back. I've been back for a long time. We've we've uh, got our infrastructure in place. The cornerstones are laid uh, in all of our major uh, government buildings. We're nearly built out. We got to get the people back on the text rail on the trains. Uh, we've got some economic development to do. Uh, we're trying to put the uh, icing on the cake, and uh, we're going to try and enjoy the next three years. You know, Mayor, you know, you've had a lot of victories, but it, it, it's interesting. Sometimes it's the defeats that really stick with you and, and, and what you learn from, right? That, that's true. But, you know, I think the greatest accomplishment we have, and just in talking to the people, I said, do you have any issues in your neighborhood? You know, the answer is no. Is there any problems? No. We have people that have moved here from every state in the union and many foreign countries. They represent all kinds of religions, national origins, um, creeds, uh, races. They represent different occupations, uh, different crafts and professions. And they live together in the same neighborhoods and they volunteer and work together. And uh, I think that is what we're trying to achieve in America. So hopefully what we've done in Grapevine someday will be a blueprint for future cities. Well, sir. 45 years as an elected official from the same place. Not many people can say that. That's true. I guess that will be my legacy. Uh, uh, but, you know, like I say, I grew up here. My father was mayor when they built the lake. Uh, I grew up on Main Street. I, I loved our community when it was a small farming community, and I love it now. I think uh, we're very fortunate to have what we have uh, and to be a part of the Metroplex. Thanks to State Representative Jake Elzey, Mark Jones, and Mayor William D. Tate for joining us this week. Stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.